Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. Just a reminder that we're a week out from Gen Con, and if you'd like to catch me or many of the other OneShot Network folks, the best way to do that this year is at the Network panel on Saturday at 6.30 in the evening. I'm also doing a panel on Thursday at 2 with Warda's Ali Grauer and Drew Merzijowski about finding or building the right system for your actual play. I have a couple shows in the queue that will air after Gen Con that I think you'll love, but I don't want you to miss your chance to check those out in person if you're going to be at the convention as well. Coming up is the new version of Fiasco by Jason Morningstar and the Character Mancer from Roll20 and Nolan T. Jones. They'll both be there, so absolutely go check those things out. This week, I talked with Bree Sheldon and Tracy Barnett about Behind the Mask, a game zine that is re-envisioning masculinity through the eyes of non-cisgender masculine creators. Bree is the lead on this project, as well as a contributor, and Tracy is one of the zine's contributors. We talk about the games in the collection, but also about the importance of the project as a whole. We look at creation as a journey to understanding, and the blind spots that still exist in our communities. Role-playing at its heart is about exploring identities, and games are a powerful tool we can use to learn more about ourselves and others. I am so excited for this collection, and I hope this episode gets you excited, too. Let's get to the show. Hey there, heroes. I am joined this week by Bree Sheldon and Tracy Barnett to talk about the Behind the Mask zine uh, that Bree is heading. Uh, so, but first of all, um, hi, hello, welcome to the show. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Would the two of you like to introduce yourselves a little bit? Maybe some projects that you've worked on or places people might know you from? And Bree, if you want to go first, because this this is your project. I'm Bree Sheldon. I am a designer and journalist in games. I've worked on a fair number of projects, both small and larger, including Fireflies, Smuggler's Guide to the Rim, Bubblegum Shoe, Let Me Take a Selfie, which is currently up for the Indie Groundbreaker Awards, and yeah. a bunch of smaller projects of my own, as well as a Demon Interface, which some uh, Onyx Path fans may know. Very cool. That is a lot of really cool stuff. I, I didn't know some of those. Um, and congratulations on your award nominations. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to see how, how that stuff turns out, because that is soon. It is very soon, and I've been working on promoting for this and everything, so that's been really exciting and, you know, I've been promoting script change and stuff because I want to actually see about getting handouts for it at cons. And mm. then I saw the announcement last night and I was like, there's something else that, like, might actually go somewhere. This is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And, and script change, I think, is something that we might talk a little bit about later. Uh, we have a, we had a listener question about that one. So Sweet. All kinds of things. And then, uh, Tracy, you are contributing to this zine, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I am uh, going to write uh, a sorcerer uh, archetype uh, type thing for D&D 5th edition for Behind the Mask. And people may know me from a uh, bunch of projects that I've done. I've kickstarted a, a number of my own games, uh, School Days, One Shot, um, Carthoon, Lands of Conflict, along with Brian Patterson. Um, I've mm -hmm. done work for Evil Hat and uh, some Starfinder work for Paizo, and I currently have contracts with Encoded Designs and Galileo Games for two of my own games, and one of those games 
is on Kickstarter right now. It launched uh, today as we were recording. Uh, it's Iron yeah. yeah, Iron Edit Accelerated. <laughs> uh, it's going very well. I'm real happy about uh, where things are with that. And, uh, oh yeah, I also run uh, my own actual play podcast uh, network of sorts uh, called The Other Cast. Uh, mm-hmm. All one word. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my stuff. Awesome. Yeah, and this is this is going to come out uh, shortly after we have recorded this, within a couple of days. So it will still be on Kickstarter for people who want to go look at Iron Edit Accelerated or go back into the Modifier archives and hear Tracy talk about it there. Woo. Both are options. You should do both of them. I, I'm in agreement um, with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have you back, Tracy, and I'm glad that you're here for the first time and hopefully not the last, Brie. And we're talking about Behind the Mask, which is currently on Kickstarter, and it is a zine, an anthology. Um, do you want to explain a little bit about what Behind the Mask is? Sure. So Behind the Mask is a zine collection that's going to be available in print and PDF, um, U.S. shipping only, unfortunately. Um, but it is a collection of game materials, um, both individual original games and game pieces that are parts of other types of games, like archetypes for character backgrounds and skins for like monster hearts. And um, there's also some art by a, a couple of people who are just like the rest of the team, nonsense gender masculine people. Mm-hmm. And we are basically re-envisioning masculinity through our own experiences using games and using historical or mythological archetypes to kind of inspire that design for the project itself. How did you start this project? Like what, what was the impetus to kind of bring all these things together? Um, like 90% of the things I do, I kind of got mad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's good. I love things that are fueled by spite and rage. That's my favorite. So there's this, there's this huge lack of representation for non-cisgender people. Like, there are not a lot of us mentioned. There are a lot of campaigns for women and non-binary people, but the hidden femme in the parentheses there is really mm-hmm. common. And there were just some, I don't even know if it was in games. Uh, it was just, I saw announcements about like calls for writers and like highlighting all these projects because these are the most important things. And they all were dropping out masculine non-binary people and trans-masculine people and Mm. just completely just ignoring them um yeah and a lot of people had kind of whispered that they didn't feel welcome and Mm. i certainly don't yeah and that was something that really started to get to me so one day i was just like well i need to do a kickstarter because i need to learn how to do kickstarter right (laughs) <laughs> yep it's 2018 yeah i yep. guess we all have to get on this now yeah, that's that's a thing <laughs> i have future goals that are dependent on being able to do a kickstarter right and mm-hmm. like i was like why don't i use you know my time and energy whenever i graduate from a master's degree which i graduated mm-hmm. in may i was Ooh. like thank you <laughs> i was like why don't i do that why don't i try and get some people together well i will just say for the record that finding it People who are non-binary and masculine and like trans-masculine and stuff and willing to talk to people uh, about their yeah. work and engage whenever there's such a high risk of negative stigma towards them is really, mm-hmm. really hard. It, it actually like it kind of hurts sometimes because I, I talked to a couple of people and they were like, I just can't handle the risk of that press. Mm-hmm. And I was just yeah. like, no. <laughs> yeah. um, so... I kind of, I just 
made what I could ha have happen happen. Like I, I, I took contacts that I had, I put out a survey and I asked people a whole bunch of questions cause that's what I do. Mm -hmm. And, um, so ended up getting, getting it together because I was kind of mad we weren't being represented because like I'm gender fluid, non-binary masculine. That's how I describe my gender. And there's not a spot for me at a lot of tables. And yeah. so as someone who's had to just kind of pass as femme to get by a lot of the time, uh, I wanted people who are living, you know, who they are as a person and being truly, you know, masculine in a good way. I wanted mm -hmm. them to have the freedom to create their work and show it to people. Yeah, absolutely. I like I like that you kind of phrased it like that, like masculine in a good way. What is, what does that mean to both of you? Oh, um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> sorry. No, no, it's 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 a it's a really challenging question, right? Because I came out as gender fluid about four and a half years ago, but didn't really know what that actually meant for me. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until maybe mm, six months, five months ago that I was like, well, no, I, I now know what this means for me. Right. Like I know that, mm -hmm. that, um, my pronouns are largely they and them and not he and him. Um, but I was, you know, raised, you know, assigned male at birth, right. Is the, is, is one of the terms that, that, can be used. And it, it mm -hmm. wasn't until recently that I realized that I occupy like the exact same description category that Bree does, right? Because I'm not a femme person. I do occasionally dress up in femme clothes, but like, that's not, it, it, that's not a thing that is like commonplace for me. And so mm -hmm. trying to like find positive representations of masculinity as a thing while also not expressly being male is has been a really um strange and interesting like space to explore i guess and i i mean for me at least i think part of what i hope to get out of doing this project is to figure out part of the answer to the question that you asked oh cool okay it, it's kind of like um so I have a difficult time processing thoughts unless I'm talking out loud. It's just a thing mm -hmm. about me. And mm -hmm. I think in a very similar way, I'm going to be able to process and discover some of this stuff by working on it. Because right now it's really nebulous. I, I know sort of what I want to present with the piece that I'm doing for the zine. But when it comes down to it, I'm not going to know what that is actually going to look like until I write it and go, yes, that, or no, definitely not that, you know, until I run into those mm -hmm. internal walls because the act of writing is going to make me do that examination. Um, that's not always easy to do when you're walking around in day-to-day -day life. So, mm, okay. Yeah. Cool. I like that. Did you have anything you wanted to add? So that's some of it. I think a lot of the people on the team are probably doing a fair bit of that exploration of their own um, with the projects that they're working on for the zine. A lot of us are either people who have been, you know, in our, our kind of gender status for a while, but don't really talk about it much. Or there are people that like 
are new to it and still haven't gotten all the words together for it. Mm -hmm. Mostly in the way that they've only just said it to everyone sort of deal. Um, I actually had somebody mm -hmm. like while I was working on the process, they were like, well, I'm kind of in the process of coming out. So maybe I shouldn't be working on the project right now. <laughs> and I was like, that's up to you. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really challenging, I think, to nail down a definition of like what it means. I have a lot of things about masculinity that I like. Um, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be it if I didn't like it. Cause I mean, the, the big thing for me is if you're going to, uh, if you're going to be a thing, right, you, mm -hmm. you want to like it. And so I've, I've taken the time to sit down and think about what is beneficial about this part of my identity. Cause it's not like I can change being masculine. That's not ever going to happen, but I can certainly look at it and say, well, here's a good thing about it. Like it makes me feel like, you know, sometimes I feel more willing to, whenever I'm feeling masculine, put myself in protective line of others mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, might risk me in certain ways, right? Whenever there's a threat, I'm more willing to step forward. Not because femme people don't do that. They just do it in a different way. Yeah. And I think that that's just a way that it is for me. So I think that it's still, it's, it's hard to nail down because masculinity means something a little bit different to everyone. And that's why it's not one giant game. I wanted to do individual pieces because I was like, well, especially culturally, like some people see masculinity differently. It's not the same. Just like most of us, I think are of the more American kind of blend, but mm -hmm. those who aren't from the U S might not have the same kind of perception of masculinity. So I never want to be like, well, this is how mask people are. That's, it's not a thing that's kind of bullshit. So instead, I just try to encourage people to see what it means to them personally um, mm -hmm. with the project. And I think that that's going to bring some rich, rich experiences forward. Very cool. Yeah, I, I hope so. You, you talked a little bit before about when you were asking people to contribute or to be part of this project. And there's, there's a lot of hesitation because this is such a focused anthology you know, you're, you're highlighting a very specific group of people, which is, which is very cool and very needed, but is also scary. Is there, like, there are, are, are there things that, that you can do to, like, mitigate that? Or do you, as, as the person who's putting this all together, do you feel like you have a responsibility to kind of keep everybody safe? Or, like, how does, how does that even, how do you even begin to tackle that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I got deep fast. Sorry. No, it's okay. It is a really challenging thing. I actually took a lot of steps in advance of the actual project for this. One of the first things that I did is um, I allowed everyone to use pseudonyms. Mm -hmm. And I had a questionnaire piece that was basically like, can I tell other people in the project your name and gender and pronouns? Or are mm -hmm. you supposed to be an anon anonymous person? And, you know, I, I gave them as much control over how they would be published as possible. Throughout the project, people were, the, their names were kept quiet until they opted into the Discord, and even then they could use a pseudonym. And I, I you know, asked for pronouns first thing. That was, like, priority to make sure that I'm meeting their comfort in that respect. And um, yeah. I, I try to check in with people regularly. I gave them the option to drop out probably seven times. <laughs> um, before we even went to Kickstarter because yeah. I was like, Hey, this is still a thing. And I want to make sure you're all okay with this. And you still want to be a part of it. 
and Mm -hmm. um because i know that it is scary like even for me like i posted about this on rpg net (laughs) (laughs) you're extremely brave (laughs) and i I just hear whispers about rpg net (laughs) and like i'm some of rpg net is fine i talked about the good place with people and stuff like that like there's there's plenty of decent people on there right but (laughs) The minute I posted it, I was just sick for like hours afterwards because mm-hmm. I was like, what if one person says yeah. something bad, you know, yeah. because I'm putting all these people at risk because I have to promote this product. Mm-hmm. So I try to check in with, you know, the team and be like, hey, you know, how's it going? We've had, to my knowledge, no real issues yet, which is great. Um, I'm yeah. actually really happy about that. I also want to say I do honestly genuinely believe part of that is because it is masculine. And I think that that does give us a weird veneer of protection in part Mm -hmm. because some people might assume some of us aren't actually like trans or non-cisgender whenever they look us up and look at us. Interesting. I think that if there was a femzine, it would probably still at least have creeps. Um, Yeah. We have, I think, sometimes... The bigger issue sometimes with being masculine is that you go, um, if you're not, if you're not cis, you go under the radar and you get ignored Mm. and forgotten. Um, being femme or being femme leaning in any way as a non-binary person, right? You often end up with creeps who harass you and call you names and are terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Masculinity still affords protections, um, just by its nature. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's just a weird kind of opposite effect for us than I I think some people expect. I think sometimes people expect that we not only don't get harassed, but we just get like we the same things as regular guys do, right? Like mm. the average cis man, right? But I certainly don't get those benefits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's like part of the part of the thing with safety for me is like I have to promote us which puts us more in the eye than we ever would normally be yeah so it causes a threat because people still hate trans people as terrible as that is like Mm -hmm. they are at risk just because i have to promote this project when otherwise we'd all just disappear yeah that's i guess i hadn't really thought about what a what kind of a wild space that is where it's where you're not benefiting from privileges but also not you know getting the the level of uh let's call it commentary yeah (laughs) yeah and i do not envy people that like that that's definitely a hard thing and we're still at risk for some harassment because of trans people and and just not being cis people right sure but it's nothing like the level of a project that was femme based Mm -hmm. um yeah and i i try to be cognizant of that with like how i'm promoting because i don't want to be like (laughs) pushing into anyone's space too much but I have actually been grateful. I wanted to do a quick shout out to more seats at the table. The mm. uh, There's a newsletter, it's a bi-weekly newsletter of um, basically marginalized genders in games, their projects and events going on and stuff. And they are one of the only ones that explicitly accepts masculine people. Mm. And they were really open about that and really explicit to me whenever I talked to them about it. And it meant so much to me because... It was the first place I could go to promote this. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, they actually include us because they say it, and and that matters. Yeah, that's that's one of the other things I was curious about is is groups that may not explicitly deny you entry, but but still 
come across as exclusionary just because of this omission. You know, what what can what can we be doing better? And it sounds like more seats at the table is setting a good example with with how they're running things. Is it just being explicit in in who is welcome it, or, or is there uh, anything else that we should do or know about? I mean, for me, being explicit is one of the number one ways to do it because it says that, you know, you openly welcome us and we're a part of the in- the community to you. But there are other parts of it, like when you host events, are they framed, you know, towards feminine people? Do you mostly talk about feminine things in mm. your, you know, invites and stuff like that? Like tea parties and... yeah and like sparkles and stuff and i love those Mm. things too don't get me wrong i'm not saying masculinity (laughs) precludes those things i'm saying that it can turn off some people who are masculine but not cisgender sure um and so like having a broader array of things that you offer or always offering an opt-out of the thing that could gender pigeonhole somebody Mm -hmm. um i think is really nice and that's just for non-binary people sometimes is really nice like, I love whenever I'm able to just, like, go freaking do a thing and I don't have to be like, yes, you have to put on the princess crown if you want to participate. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I want to be here and enjoy the party, but, like, I'm not a princess in any possible way. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. What about you, Tracy? Like, you have a di- kind of a different experience than I do with this, I think. Yeah. So I've been thinking about it while you've been while you've been running down everything and... I think um, one of the things that is kind of odd for me, there, there are sort of two things that came up. And the first is that the weird sort of non-existence of genderqueer masculine people mm-hmm. um, is so strange to me. Because I think, uh, yeah. especially at least in the experiences that I've had, it's so easy for people to just gloss over anything that's outside of their, their knowledge. Like I've told folks my pronouns and it's, it's like it's in one ear and out the other. Mm -hmm. Um, and that there are no spaces that are explicitly, and I mean explicitly or not no spaces. There are a few spaces that are explicitly like, yes, non-binary, but masculine. Cool. You're in, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's really odd to me because it's sort of giving up that, privilege in my life of just being a a cis dude right is mm-hmm. odd because i don't feel it until i explicitly do and i look at a space and i'm like oh i'm not sure that i fit here anymore when before my default assumption was yeah sure i belong here because that's what male privilege does right it's very presumptuous and uh takes space over whereas the form of masculinity that I have now questions those things because I feel like I, I definitely need to. Um, I can't just sit on that privilege and, and still expect things to get better internally for myself or externally for the people around me, I guess. And the other thing that came to mind was that I think a lot like whiteness in America, masculinity in America is largely unexamined by comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, there ha- have been tons of movements about, um, if you'll pardon me, I think I have to let a cat out of the room real quick and then I will continue this thought. <laughs> uh-huh. So like I was saying, um, 
I think in America that masculinity is often as unexamined as whiteness is because it's considered to be the default in a lot of cases. And there are a lot of, there are explicit spoken things, but there are still a lot of unspoken things about what it means to be a man, right? We're inundated with advertising about it, mm-hmm. but sort of tearing that down and really looking at like, well, so what does a safe masculine space look like? You know, yeah. um, what does it mean to, as someone who physically looks like a man to hug another man, you know, and I'm seeing like small societal improvements in those regards, but at the same time, when you occupy the wrongly considered default category, man, it's easy not to do any work on yourself or, (laughs) or anything like, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. I think the, the ultimate drug of, of white male privilege is you don't have to do shit if you don't choose to, if you aren't willing to challenge yourself or if no one else challenges you on it. Um, I've been, God, the amount of emotional labor that's been poured into me over the years by people who have cared for me, I cannot even begin Mm. to quantify it all. And every single day, I know that there are moments where I could be doing some work on myself, for myself, for my uh, personal environment where I live, in my, at my job, that I either don't do because I choose not to, which sucks, or I don't do because I'm not even aware of it, which almost sucks worse. And mm-hmm. because either I have to actively examine those spaces around me and go, what am I not doing that somebody else is? And what's the, what's the gender of that person? probably not going to be a dude. Like if we're being honest, um, probably not even going to be someone who presents as a dude. Like it's probably going to be someone who in along one of many axes is coded as feminine and like trying to find a space in masculinity, trying to redefine masculinity to be a space where I can act and look act in ways. And I can look ways that make me feel comfortable about myself that don't infringe upon anybody else is really tough Mm. because I think a lot of the unexamined defaults of, of white masculinity in America, I mean, it's basically colonialism on a micro scale, right? You find a space and you take it over, whether that's spreading your legs on a subway or just assuming that someone's going to move out of your way while you're walking down the street or that someone else is going to do the damn dishes, right? Like, I feel like I've mm-hmm. I've gone off on a tangent here because um, with the pet interruption, I don't even remember <laughs> what okay. the original question was. But <laughs> um, I, I have a thought that can branch off of that, if that's OK. Please. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that I think is important and one of the reasons why I created this is because I do like spending time with masculine people and even cis masculine people. But whenever we're talking about making spaces, it's often femme people doing the effort um, or non-binary people doing the effort of making space. Mm-hmm. So what I would like to see is more men, like cis men, actually taking the effort, making the steps to make a space for masculine people that aren't cis in their space. I would like yeah. them to, whenever they get this game, you know, material set, all these little pieces of things that they can play with, not just play them with all of their same buddies or just men and women. I want them to bring in 
non-binary masculine people and trans-masculine people to their tables to game events and ask them to participate and give them space to be the masculine that they are so that they can learn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm over here nodding along. I'm I'm here nodding, but then the the part of me that was socialized to not give a fuck about (laughs) any of that is terrified. It is scary. Right. Because, because I don't, I don't know how to do that. And my immediate default is, is to go, okay, well, someone please teach me how to do that. I'm willing to learn. Please teach me. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's taking a half step forward, right? Mm -hmm. To it's, it's like the, 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 the brain meme, right? You know, we're, we're, we're like Mm -hmm. the, the big glowy God brain is figure it out yourself. You'll make mistakes, but take the chance. Because that's another thing I think that is coded into traditional American masculinity is a fear of failure that is so bone deep that it's easier to not try. Because what if you fuck it up? Sure. And, and, or maybe that's just me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just terrified. Um, but like it, I feel like I see a lot of cis, cis guys not trying to do things because of, deep-seated insecurity about what it means for themselves. Like, I think a lot of people, when you want to try and make space for for non-binary folks or people who are not your the same gender as you and you're a cis guy, it means examining your own gender, which is work that a lot of people are not comfortable doing. Yeah, sure. And, and I, I think it, it can be very scary to go it alone and to figure it out yourself too. So I'm, I'm a little, I guess I'm wondering, you know, like, reaching out to somebody and maybe not saying here do the work for me and then like report back but come on this journey with me and and help me figure this out maybe is a better way working together is definitely the less toxically masculine way to do things so i always recommend Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh taking some time to work together with a friend to you know learn about yourself that's part of what some of the games that people have made are about like you know um there's honor bound and uh, Jason Pitt just put out a game that I'm completely spacing on the name for, but it's about lumberjacks. And these are oh, cis men yeah. who are putting out games that are exploring masculinity in a questioning way. And that's awesome. And that's part of the kind of culture that I want behind the mask to exist in, saying masculinity does have good in it, but what is that? And what can we leave behind? Yeah. Cool. Why don't we then talk about what some of the contributions to Behind sure. the Mask are? Let's get it get into the fun yes. stuff. <laughs> so there's there's all kinds of like I was reading through and there's 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 all sorts of contributions like in all manner of formats um, that I was surprised to see. Yeah, I I asked people to do you know something new and different if they could, and uh, so I have somebody's doing a twine game about the role of the protector. And that is Adrian Heiss. He's doing that. And um, it's going to be basically like a link in the in the zine. And you can take that and go and go to the website and play the, the game. Oh, cool. I wondered how that was going to yeah. get put in. It's okay. going to be a multi-step process, but that's the only way to put a twine game in a zine. So <laughs> Fair. Um, and I'm doing a, uh audio text game. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to have a fully audio and a fully text version, but they're supposed to be played together. Um, where you are kind of going through the hero's journey, which is a super masculine thing in like all of history. Mm-hmm. And it's a, you're, you are playing someone whose joy has been stolen by the fairies. And, um, you have to travel through the caverns under the hills to recover it. And 
using um, vocal exercises as like to unlock um, cavern doors and dispel illusions because having a good voice is really important to appearing masculine to some people. Um, Mm -hmm. It's related to some of my own personal experiences struggling with that. And so that's going to be like a downloadable audio and then there will be text in the zine itself. And we have two Monster Hearts 2 playbooks. Uh, skins. There's the Minotaur and uh, the Demi, which is a demigod kind of skin. Mm. And um, we have the Trickster for Apocalypse World by Eli Eaton. Patrick Lickman and Alex McConaughey are doing the, the Monster Hearts skins, and their stuff is great. So I'm really excited to see that. And um, yeah. then one thing that I'm particularly interested in, and I'm probably going to mispronounce it whenever I try and say it, Um, so Lauren Scullo is one of the creators and he is doing a sect of male Bacchae as in followers of Bacchus type oh okay like monks basically that you can use for backgrounds for D&D which I thought was pretty pretty amazing actually I'm pretty amped about it I don't even really like play a ton of D&D I'm playing D&D right Mm now actually but I don't normally play a lot of (laughs) D&D Sure. <laughs> but between all of that and um, the art that we have, which is a piece that's one that's by Raiden Otto that's themed for the Ming Dynasty of China on a transitioning man. And mm-hmm. um, the uh, work by Lemo Pugh. Some people might know Lemo. Lemo's pretty awesome. Lemo is working on the art of the Harlequin, which I'm particularly interested in seeing. Um, the inks will, uh, for one of the pieces, will be going up today. Oh, cool. And then there's Tracy's project. Yeah, Tracy, what are you doing? Uh, I am going to be doing an envisioning of the D&D 5th edition sorcerer as, um, I, I guess, uh, alternatively masculine or uh, a redefinition of traditional masculinity with uh, things that focus on actions and behaviors that are not expressly coded as masculine in American society. Mm. Um, so... Things like flamboyance of dress, uh, activities that make space for other people, uh, things that you can do to care for others. Yeah, that's the that's the the bent I'm going to take uh, with it, and the the sort of archetype that I'm going to be working with for that the the sort of traditional thing like the the hero's journey and so forth is sort of like the know-it-all, the explainer, <laughs> how guys tend to explain things to people who need them to not be explained mm-hmm. or need not have them explained. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to take that idea of a person who, well, drinks and knows things as Tyrion Lannister would say, but to use that for things that are actually of general benefit to people and not self-aggrandizing. Mm. Right. Like there's a way you can use knowledge and experience that is helpful and supportive without waving a big flag around saying, look at me, look at me. Yeah. Is, is that, is that knowing things? Is that what made the sorcerer the, the template? Um, I, I leaned into the sorcerer. I'll, I'll be honest. The, the thing that made me think of the sorcerer for this is actually the, the art that they used in third editions, Dungeons and Dragons for their mm-hmm. archetypical sorcerer. I think it's D and D. It might be Pathfinder. The dude okay. with all, whose entire costume is leather belts. Oh, right. <laughs> like, 
Okay. Yeah. Like his entire look is a hundred leather belts as pants, as his top, his arms, the whole nine yards. Right. I, I, that when I thought of, of sort of this idea, when, when Brie asked me if I wanted to do this, I was like, well, that's, that's the guy right there. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's the person that, that I want to envision in, in this world and how they do what they do, because that person looks a certain way coded through the lens of American masculinity. What happens if that person is good, kind, helpful, supportive, so knowledgeable, but uses their inherent abilities to do something different with masculinity? So, so yeah, that's, that's my, that, that's why I went sorcerer. Um, yeah. The default could have been bard because bards are very much that class. But something about the sorcerer and having, I don't know, it, it seemed kind of, I guess, kind of like the category of being a masculine non-binary person sort of gets overlooked. Like sorcerers tend to be defined by their, in D&D, by like their bloodline and what they can do, but they're still, they're still people. Mm-hmm. And so... I wanted to, I guess, sort of play around in that space. I like that. Are these all new projects that people have made for the zine or some of them or? All of them. All of them? Oh, cool. Yeah, I wanted people to do something new and inspired by this. The One of the big things people have asked why I haven't posted like a whole bunch of art or clips from the projects. And that is because I can't afford to pay people up front right now. Mm. That's just not a thing I can do. And I refuse to hire marginalized creators and say, I'm going to pay you no money. Do some work for me so I can put it on the internet and make money. Um, Mm -hmm. That feels really crappy to me. (laughs) Yeah. So basically what I ended up doing was I said, you know, we can start work like the day it funds. But until then, you know, only work on it if you want to and you're comfortable with that, you know, knowing that you may not be paid for it. And anything that, like, if the project weren't to fun, I'd be fine with them using it on their own. So, um, basically, I was just kind of like, I want new things because I want it to be from this inspiration that we're talking about and that we're discussing together. But, um, yeah, I, I don't want you to, I don't want you to waste all your energy on something that may not fund. Yeah. And as much as I want to be confident, um, <laughs> you know, it's a hard project to get funded because it is kind of niche. Sure. So, um, all of the, all of the work is basically just coming from, the initial discussions, I had them pitch me their ideas, um, reworked pitches with people who thought they could use it, and that's where we are now. Excellent. Um, that that seems like a very good and responsible place to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Cool. As one of the creators, I appreciate that too. <laughs> yes, keep your creators happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's actually it's really challenging with with like running projects because this is my first one I'm officially running. You know, mm-hmm. and. All I could think of was like, whenever I've worked on projects before, how weird I feel about working on stuff before I'm getting paid. And like, that there are certain like ethical standards I'm trying to, to build into myself and my professional life. And mm-hmm. one of those things is not having people work for something they may not get paid for. And it would be different if like I had a full time job still and if I was making enough money. But ever since, you know, I graduated after my head injury. I can't really work like a real job anymore. And like right now I have the only income I have is my blog. So I can't promise them money if it were to fail. So that was like 
I, I just could, all I can think about was how hard it was for me whenever I found out I would only be getting paid on publication for one of my first projects, which I've never been paid for. And I wrote, mm. God, 11,000 words for that project. Yeah, wow. And that is not insignificant. That's a lot. And I'll never see a penny of it. Ugh. And I, I can't do that. Cause, especially because most people on the team, you know, they have some experience or they, you know, have been doing games and everything. Some of them are still newer. And I would feel like a jerk to have that be one of the set offs of their career is, well, you did this really cool thing and I didn't get paid for it. Yeah. So. I don't know. It means a lot to me. Yeah, no, it it's I think it sets like a really good and needed example. Like we we could go off on a tear, I'm sure, about <laughs> creative work in the state of the industry and <laughs> Yeah, I mean just as a as a small chime in, I uh I wasn't paid for my first uh project either. That sucks. Mm. And it, it it yep, and it never got published. The funny thing though <laughs> is it's what became Ironetta. Oh, that's good at least. Yeah. So it it started as one thing, and because of Creative Commons licensing, <laughs> I was able to continue working on it. So that was a positive, but yeah. Yeah. Paying people's... Pay, getting paid for work is good. I had to sign an NDA for mine, oh. so... Um, Ooh, yeah. Yeah, not in a million years ever again. Speaking of which, none of my projects will ever have NDAs. I'm telling you this now. Because <laughs> <Nice. laughs> that's... I, I, some people were like, are we, we allowed to talk about this? Mm. I was like... Yes. Oh my God. Please. Please. <laughs> Never stop talking about it. Like, <laughs> well, that's like uh, Evil Hat's uh, playtest agreement, mm. right? They where the, where they say you agree to explicitly talk about this <laughs> a lot. <laughs> that's cute. I like it. At folks who do back, you've got digital and print versions, right? Yes. Yes. So we'll have uh, the digital version will come out literally as soon as I. Have, I'm doing layout and everything, so as soon as that all is ready, mm -hmm. um, all of the materials are ready, they go together, and they're going to be sent out immediately. And then um, the I'm going to be getting the uh, zine printed locally for the print versions. Excellent. And um, trying to figure out how to handle, like, I've gotten estimates for shifting and the everything, but it's, like, so hard to figure out, like, how do you get that many pieces of material out to people? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So. There's 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 a reason I don't want to do my own publishing anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 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 challenging and it definitely is. It's laudable that you want to take it on. Yeah. Because someone's got to do it, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My big thing. I thought about pitching this to somebody, but I couldn't think of a single soul in the industry who would take this. Mm. I knew that, like, because once. Once I realized how bad the trouble with my head injury was, I was like, well, maybe I should hand it off to somebody. As much as this was supposed to be to teach me, maybe I shouldn't do that, right? But then I was like, yeah, no one's even going to look at it. And that's unfortunate, but it is really kind of emblematic of the purpose of the product is, like, this is something that I think deserves attention. So I had to go ahead and go do it myself, basically. That's a lot. That's... That's awesome that you're doing it. Um, I did want to mention specifically, there is a special backer level mm. um, where you can get print and PDF for you and two others. Oh, cool. I, I know a couple of people were really excited because they wanted to give it to like local queer organizations and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm really excited that we, we've actually got seven backers for that. I was really shocked. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's pretty great. So this will be... This is... This Kickstarter is live as this episode is going out. Hopefully people are 
checking our links and going to this and looking at this because there's so many cool projects that I, I want to see happen. Like, there's something in here for any any kind of gamer, I feel like, which is a really awesome feat. Thank you. I'm really happy. <laughs> it goes to the people who are contributing. I mean, like, I'm making something too, but I actually was... I only ended up contributing because we had some people have to drop out mm -hmm. for health and professional reasons and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I still want to fill these pages, so I'll make something. Yeah. And then I found Tracy. I was like, hey, Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> Are you busy? <laughs> no. Not too busy. Yeah. Tracy's got somebody else running their Kickstarter. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, let me see. I had also a Twitter question from Vince, which I think you saw, Brie. He was asking about script change, which we talked about a little bit at the top of the episode. Um, mm -hmm. And Vince says that uh, he tends to run the X card more often, but would love to hear about the development and uh, and how to use script change more effectively. Okay. So script change is like a really big deal to me because I started working on it whenever I felt like I needed more control in games. I, I discovered the X card uh, and I wrote an article for uh, Gaming as Women back in the day called Finding My Out with the X card, where I found that having an X card on the table made me more likely to do things that I was more uh, hesitant to do. Oh. It just kind of worked out that way. But then I just realized that there were certain things that didn't hit the right note with the X card for me. And I wanted something that worked a little differently. So um, script change started and is mostly still used as three tools in the script change toolbox. And those are... Fast forward, rewind, and pause. And um, fast forward is a fade to black mechanism where you're just like, hey, let's move to the next scene. Mm -hmm. Fade to black. Rewind, you back up uh, in the scene and either redo the scene or just skip over that part. Mm -hmm. um, maybe don't do that kind of scene at all. Mm. Okay. And um, pause is a kind of universal tool. <laughs> pause exists because it's actually my safe word. And <laughs> like it's Good. really, really useful. Yeah. Because anytime you find yourself needing a break, like a bio break, or I need to think about this, or you feel uncomfortable, or you want to talk about something, yeah. just pause. It's super easy. I use it in regular life as well as in game. Mm. Like it's possibly my favorite tool in the toolbox yeah um, i feel like it's very easily understood yeah everybody who i've ever used it with in and out of game community has totally understood whenever i've called it so um and i, I use fast forward rewind pause because they're very thematic to some of the stuff that i was working on at the time but also because they're easily comprehensible like most people know what rewinding and fast forwarding is yeah. so it's easy to pick up and um, then there's frame by frame is like the newest mechanic I put in there, uh, which is a like take the scene slow sort of thing mm. where um, if you're coming into a section where something's really creepy or maybe just a little bit troubling or it's emotionally stressful, you tap the frame by frame card or say, let's take this frame by frame and uh, you'll go through the scene a little bit and then like people at the table with you or you and the other person will kind of make sure to pause and be like, do we want to rewind? Do we want to fast forward? Do we want to keep going kind of thing? Mm, that's really cool. Thank you. <laughs> it's really awesome to me. It includes stuff like rap meetings and instant replay to like go over something cool that just happened and stuff like that because yeah. <laughs> I'm a super nerd. But wow. the biggest way... Yeah, I'm <laughs> definitely a super nerd. Yeah. 
Um, the biggest way to like integrate it into your games is to introduce it at the beginning of each session until you get so used to it that like you use it before you even start doing anything mm -hmm. and actually have the cards on the table. Some people have integrated them into their play sheets. Mm. Some people put them in their games. Script changes in actually a number of games at this point, which is great. But a lot of it is just you need to actively use it. Yeah. And and that means even even whenever you would normally be like, I don't really need it, use it. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm Yeah. My my wheels are already turning. Like like I'm in I'm doing Gen Con prep right now and I'm gonna be running some games and like I'm already thinking about how having this kind of more granular control is is going to be so cool versus like just the x card you know like the the kind of games that i know i'm running are are pretty light and fluffy anyway so mm -hmm. i wasn't too worried about about doing anything but like but being able to get in and really enjoy it like through script change and through like yeah let's go back and like, like let's talk about that or like let's do that cooler or like that's gonna be yeah awesome and that, like that's one of the biggest things is a lot of people think that it's just about safety stuff, but that's part of the reason why I call it a content tool a lot of the time mm -hmm. is because it's not just for, well, I'm upset by that. It's yeah. this tone isn't actually suiting the scene that we were doing. Can we just back that up and, you know, rewind, try again mm -hmm. and make the best game that you can? It, it, it's not about necessarily ensuring no one ever gets hurt because that's impossible. It's about making sure that whenever you do come to a situation where you have a question for any reason, yeah, you have a tool to address it. Awesome. It's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that explanation, and I hope Vince does too. So, is there anything else that you, Bree or Tracy, would like uh, folks to know about uh, Behind the Mask in general, or the the piece that you're going to make for it? Um, any Anything like that? Um, Trace, do you want to go first? Sure. This is a project that is meeting a need that I didn't realize I had. Mm. Um, I think that the way that I came out as non-binary was something of a function of, of the male privilege that I had. Like, I didn't really worry about telling people my pronouns. I didn't worry about any potential backlash because I was just like, well, no, I'm just telling people what's the big deal. And I think that being reminded as a person who is socialized in the privilege that I was, being reminded that not everyone has had those experiences and being reminded that I need to do work to help create a space that's safe, not just for me, but for people who are like me, but whose lived experiences have been different. I think that's extremely important and extremely valuable. And I'm really happy to see this exist. Mm. I'm really happy that there are people who are willing to, um, to risk potentially a lack of safety to mm. make it. And I'm even more happy that there's a Brie who is willing to provide safety for people to make this thing and who that you wanted to see this in the world. Like that's amazing. That's not something that everyone would do. Yeah. And I'm really proud to be a part of it. Mm. That's awesome. Mm. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that makes me feel really good. So for me, the big things are, I would just like, if it's okay to quickly go through and mention all of the contributors. Yeah, absolutely. 
So and this is because they couldn't because of day jobs and other responsibilities couldn't come on podcasts with me and stuff like that. So I want to make sure I mentioned everybody. So we have Eli Eaton. He'll be doing the trickster playbook for Apocalypse World. Then we have Patrick Lickman, who is doing um, they're doing the Demi, which is, as they call it, a godlike skin for Monster Hearts 2. Raiden Otto is doing a character concept sheet for female to male man based in the Ming Dynasty of China, based on Raiden's description. And that'll be a visual piece. Adrian Heiss is doing the Twine narrative, exploring the role of the protector, which I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited about all of them, but <laughs> I, the protector role is one that personally like appeals to me. So... Lemo is, uh, Lemo Pew is doing the art for the Harlequin, some of which will be going up on Kickstarter to be looked at soon. Alex McConaughey is going to do the Minotaur skin for Monster Hearts 2, which sounds super exciting. Mm-hmm. Lawrence Gullo is doing the male Beckett for D&D 5th, basically a, a sect of them for a background for play. I will be doing the audio text game replicating the hero's journey, searching for your joy. And then there's Tracy with their uh, D&D sorcerer, which is super exciting. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a long list. I keep on scrolling down. And I'm like, ah, oh my God. Yeah. Um, there's so many of you. <laughs> it's such a good list. It's all so cool. I'm really excited. Oh. Yeah, me too. And we're going to have, we're going to have, of course, the link to the Kickstarter uh, in the show notes and on the Twitter as as for the two of you, um, where can folks find you and your work online? You can find me on uh, Twitter at the other Tracy. That's T R A C Y. Uh, you can also find my portfolio of stuff I've made at theothertracy.com. Uh, you can listen to my actual play podcast, uh, the other cast. Uh, it's on Twitter under the same handle at the other cast, and it's all all jammed together if you search for it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And you can go to Kickstarter and search for Iron Edda Accelerated and uh, back this really cool project that I'm doing right now. You can find me on Twitter at BrieCS. That's B-R-I-E-C-S. I'm also on Google Plus as Bree Sheldon. Pretty easy to find. Mm-hmm. And uh, my main website is BrieCS.com. Um, that's where I have all of my game journalism with uh, interviews of various designers and game theory discussion and some of my own games. I also have a web show called Leading with Class, and both of these things, my blog and Leading with Class, are supported by Patreon. The patreon.com slash is my my website for my Patreon website for my blog. Mm-hmm. And for Leading with Class, it's a leadership show teaching leadership through games. Mm. And you can find that at uh, patreon.com forward slash leading with class. And I think I'm on like four other forms of social media, but (laughs) I'm sure you can find me searching around a little bit. Cool. (laughs) Cool. Thank you. Yeah, we'll put we'll put all of those links in our notes as well. Um, Awesome. Thank you guys so much for doing this with me and for uh, (laughs) handling all of my too deep, too fast questions, but also talking about this really cool thing. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks very much for having us on. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks again to both Bree and Tracy for being on and absolutely check out the Kickstarter for Behind the Mask. It has about 10 days left and the PDF is only a few dollars. 
Tracy's Iron Edda Accelerated Kickstarter is also still going, and if you'd like to hear some actual play, go check out She's a Super Geek. I ran Iron Edda Accelerated for Tracy, Senda, and Emily, and we had a great time. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier mostly on Twitter at Modifier Podcast. We also have a Tumblr, Facebook, and G+, with varying levels of upkeep success, all under the same Modifier Podcast name. You can email me directly with questions, comments, or show suggestions at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts that include shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, Adventure, Neoscum, System Mastery, and Talking Tabletop. OneShot is an actual play podcast where host James D'Amato leads a rotating cast of improvisers, game designers, and other notable nerds through a variety of role-playing games. Every month, OneShot plays a new game with a new cast of players. Find out more about all these shows at OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at CatGreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then.